Hello, Earnings Call listener. My name is Hadi Youssef. I run this earnings season podcast, but I also run the Borster Earnings Call mobile app, and that's what I wanted to quickly tell you about today. We've created a dedicated app for listening to earnings calls. What I mean by that is that we've basically created the Spotify for earnings calls. Our app lets you add any company to your watch list. You can download any earnings call to your phone. You can set notifications for specific companies for when a new call is available. You can also see the exact date of the earnings call. And if there is a company that isn't on our app yet, you can request a company within our app and we will promptly add it. Making earnings calls easy to access is something that I care a lot about. It's why I created this earnings season podcast. But obviously, we cannot add every single earnings call that gets published on this podcast, or else you'll be having hundreds of episodes every week. And so, we've created a dedicated app where you can go and pick and choose the exact earnings calls、uh, you're interested in. And what we post on this earnings season podcast are basically kind of the highlights or the most notable earnings calls. But in the show notes of this episode, I've included a video demonstration where I walk you through all the features that I just described for our app. And I also included the link to the App Store where you can go there and see the description of the app and the reviews. You know, I'm really proud of the feedback we've gotten from our users. And,、uh, you know, pleasing and satisfying our, our users and our customers is, is something that I、uh, take pride in. And, and as a team, we、uh, really pride ourselves on that. And so, I don't want to take more of your time and, and keep you from listening to the earnings calls you've selected today. So, without further ado, here is your earnings call. Good morning, and welcome to the Match Group fourth quarter 2018 earnings conference call. All participants will be in listen only mode. Should you need assistance, please signal a conference specialist by pressing the star key followed by zero. After today's presentation, there will be an opportunity to ask questions. To ask a question, you may press star, then one on your telephone keypad. To withdraw your question, please press star, then two. Please note this event is being recorded. I would now like to turn the conference over to Lance Barton, Senior Vice President of Corporate Development and Investor Relations. Please go ahead. Thank you, operator, and good morning, everyone. Match Group CEO Manny Ginsberg and CFO Gary Swidler will review the fourth quarter investor presentation that is available on the Match Group Investor Relations website, and then we'll open it up for questions. But before we start, I'd like to remind everyone that during this call, we may discuss our outlook and future performance. These forward looking statements may be preceded by words such as we expect, we believe, we anticipate, or similar statements. These statements are subject to risk and uncertainty, and our actual results could differ materially from the views expressed today. Some of these risks have been set forth in our earnings release and our periodic reports filed with the SEC. Over to you, Mandy. Thanks, Lance, and good morning, everyone. As I pass my one year anniversary as a CEO of Match Group, I wanted to quickly take stock of how we're set up for 2019 and beyond. Our key growth driver, Tinder, continues to show its strength. Without performance in Q4, even against a really tough comp from the prior year. Tinder has a robust set of initiatives to drive strong growth for the foreseeable future. It is the go to dating app for young singles, and we continue to cement our leadership among college students while fueling growth in emerging markets like India. While Tinder rightly gets most of the spotlight, we have a number of other brands that are poised for impressive growth and serve a different demographic or psychographic than Tinder. Hinge, which has seen accelerated growth under our leadership, is a differentiated product that has clear momentum and should turn into another star. The recent launch of SHIP is resonating strongly with young women, and our African American and Latino focused apps continue to grow their user bases impressively. Match and Meetit continue to evolve their product, and we think that those brands will see growth again heading into next year as they resonate with serious minded daters in their 30s and 40s. OKCupid、okay、has shown early traction in India and Paris continues to ramp as a leader in Japan. Along with Tinder, these brands give us some solid weapons in the large and growing Asian market. What all this tells you is that we have a tremendous amount of exciting product work underway at Match Group. We are driving innovation by incubating new products, advancing our existing ones, and acquiring businesses with early traction that we can supplement with our deep. Experience and best practices. 
all of which provides us with multiple levers to drive long-term growth. We also generate significant profitability and cash flow, giving us the financial flexibility to strategically deploy capital for compelling M&A or greenfield opportunities. Before I talk about how we are executing on this strategy, I want to provide context for why we see plenty of room for continued growth with our products and the category. Slide four highlights our belief that of the more than 600 million internet-connected singles in the world, a whopping 400 million people have never even tried a dating product. Most people naturally assume that everyone who is single in the U.S. is on a dating app, but that's far from the truth. The reality is that more than half of all singles, both in U.S. and Europe, have never tried dating products. Before Tinder launched, only a third of all singles in the U.S. used online dating products and the number was dramatically lower for Tinder's core demographic. Only 16% of 18 to 24-year-olds used the category back in 2012. You can see from the dating product usage chart how, many, how much of an impact the growth of Tinder has brought to the category, but there is still a significant amount of room to increase market penetration. While 50% is a significant number, categories like travel and retail have reached 90 percent penetration, and I don't see why dating should be that different. For single-using dating products, we've seen a continued increase in the number of apps they use at the same time. People want to improve their chances of success, so young people are using four products at once, and their time spent on dating apps is increasing. Our portfolio strategy and continued emphasis on launching new apps has and will continue to pay dividends. The opportunity is even larger when looking outside the U.S. and Europe where roughly 75% of the addressable market lives. We know that two out of every three singles outside North America and Europe have never tried a dating product, driven by a combination of category stigma and a lack of access to high-speed Internet. We believe category adoption in most countries today is where the U.S. and Europe were more than 10 years ago and should have a long runway. Penetration remains quite low in geographies we are investing in, such as Japan, India, and South Korea. Taiwan, which is more penetrated but still a growth market, offers proof that there is plenty of room for adoption to increase in Asia. Facebook has acknowledged the opportunity this category presents by launching their dating products in Colombia, Thailand, and Canada. Given Facebook's scale, they could possibly help further erode the category stigma and increase multiple product usage, especially in underpenetrated geographies throughout Asia. But I want to be clear, in terms of their impact on us to date, we've scoured the metrics across all of our brands that operate in these three countries, and we have seen no discernible impact on our KPIs from the launch of Facebook dating. To summarize, the category is large and underpenetrated. As the market leader for over 20 years with a portfolio of iconic brands around the world, our energies are focused on expanding category penetration just as Tinder did for a generation of younger users. Turning to slide five, in its fourth year of monetization, Tinder nearly doubled direct revenue to $805 million. In 2018, Tinder added 1.2 million average subscribers and increased ARPU by 23%. Our strategy to increase the number of gold subscribers was a key component of ARPU growth, as was the continued ramp in a la carte purchases. Tinder's top line remains impressive with 57% direct revenue growth driven by 40% average subscribers growth, subscriber growth and ARPU up 12% in the fourth quarter. Tinder exceeded our expectations for subscriber growth, primarily due to a number of ongoing product and merchandising optimizations that drove conversion wins, particularly in the back half of Q4. The increase in conversion led to a high volume of Tinder first-time subscribers and resubscribers in the quarter, which allowed us to offset most of the impact from the elevated number of expiring 6- and 12-month gold subscribers that we discussed on last quarter's call. A la carte revenue also reached record levels in the fourth quarter, driven in part by the high volume of subscribers at Tinder. Slide 6 highlights key marketing and product objectives at Tinder that support our overall strategy. The core of Tinder has always been fun and effective way to meet new people through swipe features and our double-blind opt-in. While improving the core experience of the app is always a focus, our long-term goal is to evolve the Tinder experience to a single lifestyle destination. In other words, if you are young and single, we want Tinder to become an essential part of your social life and the must-have app to meet new people. 
try new things, go to new places, and attend social events. As we build new features and introduce new experiences that support that strategy, three principles will and have always guided us. Tinder has to be effective, engaging, and fun. Tinder got its start on college campuses, and last year, the launch of Tinder U meaningfully increased engagement and usage within Tinder's core demographic. In 2019, we are planning to solidify our leadership position among college students by expanding Tinder U to cover even more schools throughout the U.S., while also launching Tinder U in select international markets. We're also expanding marketing through our on-campus brand ambassadors and social media influencers. Expect to see more events and marketing tied to the school's social calendar, such as Rivalry Week and Spring Break. Moving to the middle of the slide, we will continue to drive in underpenetrated markets globally. We're in the midst of a wave of rapid social and cultural change that should lead to increased appetite for dating products in these markets, like Japan and India, to name a few. We're adding feet on the ground in various countries and are increasing marketing efforts to further accelerate the rapid organic growth that Tinder has experienced. We already have teams in about a half a dozen key countries throughout Asia who activate our marketing programs and develop the cultural insights needed to further entrench Tinder in the lives of young singles in this region. Although Tinder is already the top-grossing lifestyle app in over 100 countries around the world, we do see significant opportunity for us to further invest into growth. Tinder's global growth happened despite the fact that we never really focused on adapting the product for different geographies or cultures. This is changing as we begin to localize the product and start to tailor areas such as login, profile, our algorithms, and payments in various geographies. We will supp supplement our product localization with increased marketing to drive brand awareness. Historically, Tinder has used non-traditional channels such as social media influencers and celebrities to market the brand. But in certain Asian markets, the reach and cultural credibility of TV are valuable. For the first time ever, we've launched TV campaigns in both India and South Korea to create awareness for the brand. In both of these markets, the campaigns show how Tinder can expand single people's social circles and allow them to share real-life experiences based on common interests. January downloads in South Korea increased nearly three and a half times versus last January, and we're seeing an increase in downloads in India by almost 50%. As I said before, the biggest focus of our product work continues to be enhancing the core experience, increasing relevance, engagement, and outcomes for all users. For example, Swipe Surge is a feature we rolled out that increased matches and conversations. We notify users during peak usage times on Tinder. It's kind of like signaling to people when a bar or a club is really hopping. We also continue to refine the post-match experience to increase conversations between matches and to make those conversations more contextual, engaging, and fun. In our messaging area of the app, users can now connect based on music they love and through our Spotify partnership, share music with their matches. We have an extensive roadmap for the feed and post-match experience, so stay tuned. As you would expect, we also have a number of revenue initiatives sprinkled throughout the year. We have not assumed a Big Bang revenue feature in 2019, but you can be assured that Tinder team is working hard on a number of ideas, and then more on those to come as the year progresses. Tinder has a number of vectors to focus on this year, all with one goal in mind, to ensure that Tinder becomes the indispensable app for single life. As we do so, we'll drive engagement and outcomes, which in turn drive revenue, setting us up for a great 2019. Slide seven lays out three of the exciting new brand opportunities we're making investments in in 2019. Our biggest area of investment outside of Tinder this year will be Hinge, which we now own 100% of. The Hinge product appeals to relationship-minded millennials by providing a differentiated experience where the interface is simple, yet the profiles are deep and engaging. It is resonating with users, evidenced by the fact that Hinge continues to gain momentum, not only in the U.S., where downloads grew four times on a year-over-year -year basis in Q4, but also in the UK where we saw a 10 times increase in downloads over the same time frame. Hinge has quickly become one of the most popular dating apps in New York and London, which are now its top two markets. The bottom chart highlights a handful of dating apps that have attracted funding after the breakout success of Tinder. Most of these have not gained significant traction, but what you can see is that since we made our initial investment in Hinge, it has accelerated growth and meaningfully separated from that pack. Hinge downloads are now two and a half times more than the next largest app, 
and 40% of Bumble's download as it continues to rapidly gain share. Armed with a differentiated and popular product and our knowledge of the category, we expect Hinge to continue to strengthen its position in this relationship-minded market. Right now, our focus is on driving user growth by raising awareness, driving downloads, increasing product affinity. We believe that Hinge can be a meaningful revenue contributor to Match Group beyond 2019. We have confidence it can carve out a solid position in the dating app landscape among relationship-minded millennials and serve as a complementary role in our portfolio next to Tinder. At the end of January, just a few weeks ago, we launched a new brand called SHIP in collaboration with Betches, a fast-growing digital media brand owned by three women that have been best friends since childhood. Betches has developed a very strong following among females in their 20s, evidenced by their more than 6.5 million followers on social media, 10 podcasts, and two New York Times bestsellers. SHIP is the first product we've launched where friends are actively involved in the dating experience. The brand name is a play on words, friendship, relationship, as well as a reference to the slang shipping or to ship, which means endorsing a romantic relationship or rooting for a couple to be together. SHIP mirrors the real-world behavior of singles, particularly for women. The app allows users to invite their friends to select matches on their behalf and chat about matches with their close group of friends. We know that dating app users often send screenshots of their matches to their friends and that people in relationships love to choose matches for their single friends. This app combines both of these behaviors, making it the first in-app group chat and dating product that let you pick, lets your friends pick your matches. The initial launch of SHIP resulted in a huge influx of women, which is a critical success factor in this category. Although it's newly launched, more than 80% of users on SHIP are female, which is something I've never seen happen in the category really ever. It's still really early, but it's fun to see the traction that this product is getting already. We think the combination of the massive reach and strong female appeal of the Betches brand, combined with our category-leading knowledge of product and monetization, gives SHIP a great chance for success. Last quarter, I mentioned that OkCupid was in its early testing to see whether their organic traction in India could lead to something more if we localized the product and put some modest marketing dollars to work. Those tests have resulted in a significant increase in registrations and users, so we now have plans to invest further behind that early traction. The heart of OkCupid's growth in the U.S. was the provocative questions posed on the platform, which led to culturally relevant conversations in the press and amongst our users. We're replicating that formula now in India by adding localized questions that resonate with young and increasingly progressive Indian population. As a result, OkCupid has been earning headlines for insights on dating and love in India. There have been over 100 press articles written about the business with over 800 million press impressions since October. We believe OkCupid can complement Tinder's market-leading position in India where Tinder is already the number two overall grossing app in the country. The Indian market is clearly large enough to support multiple apps, and a product gap currently exists between Tinder and the legacy matrimonial websites that have existed in India for many years. Our hope is that OkCupid can, feel that, can fill that void, and early results show that we're on the right path. Before Gary goes through the financials, I want to say how proud I am of, what, um, of the team and what they've accomplished. Our financial results have been terrific. Our employees have continued to push hard and execute on plans, rolling out exciting new brands, and creative new product features and marketing campaigns. And we have continued to make a difference in so many people's lives by introducing them to fantastic people who have become their partners, fiancés, husbands, and wives. We have great things ahead, and we look forward to continue the journey with you. With that, I will turn it over to Gary. Thanks, Mandy. We finished 2018 on a high note, capping a very strong year with 30% year-over-year revenue growth and 39% EBITDA growth. We're optimistic we can deliver again for our investors in 2019. I will first review Q4 in detail, then discuss 2019 and specifically the Q1 outlook. On slide 10, you can see that average subscribers reached over 8.2 million in Q4, up 17% year over year. Tinder drove our growth again this quarter with aggregate stability at our other brands. We saw some pressure at Match and Meetick as we spent down on marketing by about 13%. Our other brands generally performed well. Tinder's sequential subscriber growth was stronger than we had expected as optimizations and merchandising changes drove higher conversion levels and more new subscribers and resubscribers, offsetting much of the impact from a higher than normal number of expiring six and 12 month packages 
in Q4. The benefits of small optimizations such as paywall tweaks or recommendation engine changes that we made in the quarter give us confidence that we have much more headroom on this front in 2019. On slide 11, the left-hand chart shows the rapid growth in Tinder ARPU over the last two years, up nearly 50%. This has been driven by a number of monetization features, most notably Tinder Gold, as well as by strong a la carte sales. The ARPU at our other brands has remained stable over the same period. You can further see that the gap between Tinder's ARPU and the other brands' ARPU continues to narrow, and that Tinder ARPU now approaches the overall match group ARPU. In Q4, overall company ARPU was higher by 4% year-over-year, up $0.03 to $0.58. ARPU growth was driven by Tinder, which saw 12% higher ARPU year-over-year. International ARPU was unfavorably impacted by strength in the U.S. dollar compared to certain international currencies. On a constant currency basis, international ARPU would have been up 9% to $0.59. On a constant currency basis, company ARPU would have been up 4 cents or 7%. Flipping to slide 12, you can see that the 17% subscriber and 4% ARPU growth led to total revenue growth of 21%, with total revenue reaching $457 million for the quarter. Indirect revenue continued to be impacted by declines in impressions of the non-tender brands, coupled with some impact from GDPR and from changes to the deal terms in our relationship with FAN. In terms of EBITDA, we saw year-over-year growth of 15% in Q4 to $176 million. EBITDA margins declined two points year-over-year, partly due to the higher legal expenses we mentioned before. EBITDA growth was also impacted by higher marketing expense, particularly at Hinge, Pairs, and Tinder, which ran multiple marketing campaigns, including Tinder U and a national brand campaign in Q4. The campaigns were timed to coincide with back-to-school as well as to lead into the important Christmas to Valentine's Day period. Product development costs increased by $5 million in the quarter, largely due to increased headcount investments at Tinder and Hinge. Operating income grew 18%, driven by the higher revenues partly offset by higher in-app fees. The operating income growth rate exceeded our EBITDA growth rate due to slower growth of stock-based comp and lower depreciation expense. Total stock-based comp expense was $16 million in the quarter, up 5% from the prior year, though for the full year, SBC expense declined by 4%. With full year 2018 behind us, I thought it would be good to once more review how the company is delivering for shareholders. On slide 13, you can see that over the past three years, we've grown total revenue at a 21% annual rate, with 2018 total revenue exceeding $1.7 billion. Tinder has really outperformed over that period, with a variety of project initiatives driving the outstanding revenue growth you can see on the left side of the page. It's really quite amazing to see a business go from under $50 million of revenue to over $800 million in just three years. When you look at our other businesses, you can see the trends that we've been talking about for a while now. From 16 to 17, revenue declined at the other brands, primarily because we reduced marketing spend at our affinity business, which impacted subscribers and revenue. By 2018, the overall business X-Tinder was stable compared to the prior year. In terms of operating income, we have grown at a 32% CAGR over the past three years, with margins reaching 32% and total operating income of $553 million in 2018. We achieved $654 million of EBITDA in 2018, or just about double our EBITDA from three years prior. We have expanded margins by five points over the three years, with an exceptional two-and-a-half-point increase in 2018. We continue to have confidence in our ability to drive margins over 40% as the business continues to scale. Both operating income and EBITDA growth have been driven by the strong revenue growth and lower expenses as a percent of revenues as the business continues to shift towards brands with lower marketing spend as a percent of revenues, partly offset by higher IAP fees. On slide 14, you can see from the left chart that our leverage has declined noticeably over the last three years, from over four times to about two times. Late last year, we paid a special cash dividend of $2 per share of match group common stock and class B common stock. We used cash on hand and some borrowings under our revolver to pay the $556 million to shareholders for the dividend. We initially drew $260 million on the revolver, which was the drawn balance at 1231.18, 
but we've since paid it down. Currently, our drawing stands at $185 million. It is possible that we will access the debt markets to pay down the revolver if market conditions are favorable. We had $187 million of cash on hand at the end of 2018, and as I stated last quarter, our target gross leverage ratio is two and a half to three times. We have plenty of flexibility to continue to invest appropriately in our businesses and follow through on any attractive M&A opportunity that we find. We would go above three times leverage for compelling M&A, assuming a reasonable deleveraging period. The company generated a phenomenal $573 million of free cash flow in 2018, up 96% year over year. This was helped by the fact that we were not a domestic cash taxpayer. We also had some working capital favorability in late 2018. The business capex levels remain extremely low at $31 million for 2018. In Q4, we deployed $47 million of cash to repurchase just over a million shares. In 2018, in total, we repurchased 3.1 million shares at an average price of $43.72, effectively returning $134 million to shareholders. Combined with the $556 million for the dividend, we effectively returned nearly $700 million to shareholders in 2018. We also used $208 million of cash to pay employee withholding taxes in 2018, issuing 4.9 million fewer shares as a result. For the full year 2019, we're optimistic that we can continue to deliver strong financial performance. Consistent with my remarks on our last call, we'll be, we believe we'll be able to deliver top-line growth in the mid-teens. We expect Tinder continues to drive our growth while our other brands remain stable in aggregate. The 2019 growth outlook assumes solid monetization progress continues at Tinder, but not a step change revenue feature like Tinder Gold. We believe the company's year-over-year revenue growth will accelerate slightly as the year progresses, as the non-Tinder businesses begin to contribute more to the equation. At Tinder, we expect that user growth and the work we're doing on both product features and optimizations will lead to adding around a million average subscribers in 2019. Given the strength we saw in Q4 at Tinder, we're positioned to have slightly above average subscriber additions in Q1, with the rest of the year pacing at more typical levels. We believe we can continue to grow Tinder ARPU in the mid-single digits for the year, depending on the mix of developed and developing market subscribers. With all that said, we remain focused on driving overall revenue at Tinder, not specifically on subscriber or ARPU growth. In terms of EBITDA, we expect a range of $740 to $790 million for the year. Where we end up in the range will depend on revenue and the precise levels of marketing and product investment that we choose to make. I do not expect Tinder's marketing spend to grow as a percent of revenue in 2019. At the midpoint of our revenue and EBITDA ranges, margins would be up about 60 basis points for the year. We continue to have a tight focus on marketing spend at Match and Metic, which is pressuring their revenue and subscribers, but we're refining these products to position them for growth in 2020 and beyond. Our other longstanding brands are performing well, and we're investing in new brands like Hinge, Ship, BLK, and Chispa, as well as Pairs, to drive incremental growth. We expect heavier year-over-year marketing investment in the first half of 2019. Coincident with our peak season, major investment in Hinge and the launch of Ship, among other things. We expect margins in Q1 and Q2 will be down from unusually high levels in 2018, but fairly consistent with what we typically have seen in the years prior to 2018. The margin trends for the year also should be consistent with what we have seen historically, with our lowest margin in Q1 accelerating to a peak in Q4. For Q1-19, we expect revenue of $455 to $465 million. This is in spite of nearly $15 million of negative FX impact compared to the year-ago quarter. We expect $150 to $155 million of EBITDA in Q1 and margin of 33% at the midpoint of our ranges. As I said at the outset, we had a tremendous 2018, capping our third year of very strong financial performance as a public company. We're continuing to execute well against our strategic plans and our global opportunity and believe we're well positioned for sustained, strong top and bottom line growth and increasing profitability. With that, I'll ask the operator to open the line for questions. Thank you. We will now begin the question and answer session. To ask a question, you may press star then one on your touchtone phone. If you're using a speakerphone, 
please pick up your handset before pressing the keys. To withdraw your question, please press star, then two. At this time, we will pause momentarily to assemble our roster. Okay. The first question comes from Ross Sandler with Barclays. Please go ahead. Great. Uh, thanks. So, I guess, Gary or Mandy, seems like something uh, has improved at Tinder in the, since we spoke 90 days ago, given that, uh, you know, the beaten 4Q and, and the 1Q guide above the 250K net ads level. Um, and you mentioned, Mandy, uh, product and merchandising changes that drove an uptick in the second half of the quarter. So, I guess, any, any additional color on what you're seeing uh, and then how does the net ads uh, look from a geographic standpoint? Are they coming in kind of across the board, or is this more on these uh, these new markets in Asia? Thank you. Uh, good morning, Ross. Let me let me try to take a stab at that. So, you know, as as you know, um, we've talked a lot about um, the large number of expiring six and twelve month packages that we had in in Q4 when we had our last call. And what we basically did was we mobilized very hard. We've talked over, over the time about how much we think at Tinder there's room for us to make optimizations and drive subscribers, and we were able to do that. We mobilized, especially in the back half of the quarter, and made a number of optimizations that really led to significant uh, conversion improvements, brought in more first-time subscribers and resubscribers. And what that did was basically you know, help offset a lot of the expiring 6- and 12-month subscribers, and so instead of coming in under the 200 level, which is what we thought at the time, we were able to get up to 233 uh, sequential net ads in the quarter, and so we're very pleased with the progress that we made. And, you know, importantly, what it tells us is, you know, we're right about our belief that we have a lot of headroom to keep making those kinds of optimizations, whether it's paywall changes, whether it's more significant changes to the recommendation engine that drives likes and therefore increases conversion. All those things on a platform of the scale of Tinder really move the needle, and we saw that in Q4, and we have optimism that we're going to see benefits from that throughout 2019. And so, you know, while we did spend up in marketing at Tinder in 2019, in the fourth quarter of, of 18, um, that did help drive things, but the real significant driver of the uptick um, was, was the optimization work that we did. And what you see is because we had – um, more significant subscriber growth than we were expecting, that higher level of subscribers carries into Q1. And so as a result of that, we're expecting a higher number um, of subscribers than our kind of typical average um, in, in Q1 as well, probably something approaching 300,000 or, so, or so subscribers. And, you know, it really is strength across the board. It's not confined to one particular geography, which I think was the last part of your question. It really is strength across the board on conversion. Um, and subscriber growth. Okay, hopefully that's helpful, Ross. Um, next question, please. Okay, the next question is from Brandon Ross with BTIG. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. I actually had one on Hinge. Uh, you mentioned its popularity in New York City and London uh, during the prepared marks. Can you speak to the market share you've seen in those markets and the monetization rates? maybe as a leading indicator uh, for where that brand's going? And then maybe what's the strategy for achieving growth from here at Hinge? Is it a city-by-city city approach or kind of a, a national approach? And then uh, just on Tinder, uh, could you just uh, tell us how to really think about uh, subs uh, domestically versus internationally? Any more color you could give on that? Thanks. Sure. Okay. Let me start with Hinge. So the first thing I want to say about Hinge is that we've seen Hinge have this incredible product market fit. So what that means is that people just love the product, and if you talk to users who use the product, there's just real strong, worth mar strong um, word of mouth marketing because they're just getting great value out of it. And so as a result of that um, strong product traction, we're seeing organic growth in large cities, cosmopolitan cities throughout the U.S., um, New York, certainly the strength is where it started, but in L.A. and Chicago, San Francisco. And then we're also seeing English-speaking international markets where we're seeing, um, you know, some traction like Toronto and Sydney. We do think that um, sort of looking ahead at Hinge over time, there is an opportunity to grow non-English-speaking cities, uh, you know, once the app is translated, because at this point um, it's just in English. 
Regarding marketing efforts, we, we're spending on marketing really um, around brand and elevating the um, brand hinge because New York, a lot of people have heard about it, but there's still relatively low, low awareness in places across the country. Um, and it's really focused on uh, reaching young millennial men and women, um, mostly in online channels. That addresses your question of you know, how are you reaching them. And then the question around monetization, we, we really haven't focused on monetization on Hinge. In fact, if you use the app, it's not um, easy to come across rate cards. We, you know, we, just, we have not really spent a lot of our energy. We'll begin sp uh, spending a little bit more time and focus in the back half of the year. I mean, as, as we have sort of proven time and time again that we take best practices and real institutional knowledge and bring it to sort of the next um, business we either acquire or build. So we feel confident that we, we have real um, opportunity there. And then the last thing I just wanted to mention when it comes to Hinge, there's you know, a question about sort of marketing, but it's really around, um, around how do we make sure we're constantly improving the product to continue to get that word of mouth traction, which is really important as well. So last year we launched a couple of, of features that focused on really improving success rates. Um, we met as, as an example that, that I, I can't remember if I talked about on the last call, but what it does is it gives people the ability to tell us what they think of their date. So about two-thirds of people who go on dates participate in the surveys, and, um, and it's great because we think it's going to give us a, over, over time a robust signal for how to take like, offline feedback and build it into our matching algorithms. And so for Hinge, you know, we're, just, we're really sort of early in the journey, and, um, and we feel like this is going to be a, a great business and a great um, contributor beyond 19. Um, quest, second question I think you asked around domestic versus um, international. Yeah, for, uh, so, for, for Tinder. Yeah, so um, so let me first say, so domestically, what we've really focused on is the in the last six months primarily is college audience. There's 20 million college students in the U.S. We think they're incredibly important audience. They also happen to be vibrant and dating a lot, so sort of very relevant. Um, turning to international where you see the growth and we'll continue to see the growth, it is a big focus. Um, and I'll touch on a couple of regions. Asia, there's real social change that's happening in these markets. Um, I mentioned in, in my remarks that South Korea and India, we just launched TV ads really to drive increased awareness. Um, we're seeing nice momentum there. And then there are other markets where there's just some really interesting cultural relevance. So um, Brazil, for example, um, in the last month or so, the number one pop song is about meeting a girl on Tinder named Jennifer, um, and it's been a smash hit, and we've seen this big surge in traffic, but what it tells you is that Tinder is really integrated into the dating culture, um, and we think there's continue, we'll continue to see momentum um, on that front as well. And then the last thing I'd just say is that not only are we putting marketing dollars into um, emerging markets, but we're also continuing to put more feet on the street to make sure that not only can we market from execute from a marketing standpoint, but we need to continue to um, adapt the product, everything from login to profile to payments ge geographically, and that's an area that we just haven't focused on until now. And so um, we do think that, that the international markets will see, and, you know, will see momentum and growth, especially since that's where 75% you know, of our addressable audience is. Okay. Thank you. Okay, the next question comes from Eric Sheridan with UBS. Please go ahead. Thanks so much. Um, given the disclosure of Tinder and sort of non-Tinder revenue in the release in the slides, I was curious how you're thinking about that non-Tinder revenue. It's been sort of flattish over the last couple of years. Is that going to be an area we should look for continued stability, or is that an area where you could possibly put marketing dollars to work to stimulate growth, how those brands fit into the broader portfolio? A good update on all of that would be helpful. Thanks so much. Sure. So let me take a crack at it, Eric. I, you know, I think that we've been talking about stability for a while now in the non-Tinder brands, and I think that's very, you know, very fair to point out. Um, I think we view that as kind of the minimum case, that we're going to be able to achieve stability. It was important for us to get to that point, and we've gotten there. Um, and, you know, our goal is to get that piece of the business growing again, um, and I think we can accomplish that late this year and certainly into next year. And so that's the goal, and we're mobilizing on a number of fronts um, to do that. If you unpack kind of what's going on in the non-Tinder brands a little bit more, I think you can kind of think about it in three components. Um, you know, the first is these new emerging growth businesses that we've been talking about, 
and I include Hinge in that category. I include Ship in that category, which just launched but shows really good user growth out of the gate. Uh, Chispa and BLK as well on the Latino and the African American side. So we have a number of bets that we've made um, that we think will be able to drive growth for us um, aside from Tinder. And then, of course, uh, you know, we have big hopes for Hinge in particular, as, as Mandy talked about. And then when you look at some of our other brands like OkCupid and Plenty of Fish more domestically, although they're starting to branch out internationally as well, and then you've got Pears in Japan, which has been growing nicely in a market that's really growing very strongly. So we've got some good growth drivers there as well. And then the third piece of it is, you know, the matches and meetings of the world um, that have been tougher on the growth side because of what's been going on, particularly with TV spend, which we've talked about um, on a number of our calls. And we're doing a lot of product work at Match and Metic, and we think that will drive um, improved word of mouth. We're also thinking through um, how to be more effective on the marketing side at those businesses. And the goal is to get those businesses um, growing again late this year into next, and they can be significant com- c- contributors just given uh, the size of those businesses. So uh, the early signs are that the work we're doing at those brands are starting to pay dividends, but we have a, a little bit more work to do over the next couple of quarters, uh, and I think you'll start to see the results late this year and certainly in 2020. So overall, our goal is to have that a minimum stability, get to um, kind of low single-digit growth in those brands, and then go from there, and hopefully we can uh, have those businesses contribute nicely to the overall equation while Tinder continues to power a lot of the growth. And that's kind of how we're thinking about the overall uh, position of the company from a growth, a revenue growth perspective. Great. Thanks for the color. Okay. Thank you. Okay. The next question comes from Ben Schachter with Macquarie. Please go ahead. Congratulations on, on the great execution. Um, can you talk about the potential to improve commission rates on the mobile app stores? Is there a way for Match to pay fees that would be more in line with traditional subscription models, or can you go direct in any way to, to avoid the commission fees? And, and related to that, Epic Games recently announced that they're going to be hosting a new app store on Android devices that will only charge developers about 12%. You know, should we expect that you would try to shift some usage there or to other third-party stores that, that may evolve around there? Thanks. Uh, thanks, Ben, for the question and, uh, and for all your good uh, reports on this topic. It's obviously uh, a huge topic among developers. Given uh, the amount of fees that we pay to Apple and Google, it's something that we're incredibly focused on. Um, you know, if you just look at our Tinder business, uh, you know, at $805 million of revenue in 2018 and growing this year, and you assume we pay pretty close to 30% across the board, it's a massive expense for us. And, uh, and you know that we make frequent trips uh, to Cupertino uh, to, to discuss this with Apple um, and Google as well. And, uh, you know, it's something that we are thinking about very carefully. I know that there's a lot of noise being made in the industry generally by players like Fortnite, by Netflix, and the shift that they just announced. Uh, so it's something that we're watching incredibly carefully, and it's, of course, not just an issue for us, but it's an issue, um, you know, for, for everyone. Um, but it's a complicated one. There are certainly real benefits that the, that the stores bring to the table uh, from a distribution standpoint in particular. You know, for our brands, um, they don't bring as much on the marketing side um, just because we have such high brand awareness uh, at so many of our brands, and the reality is that when people go to the stores, you know, they're searching for a particular app, um, and so there's not as much benefit. So, you know, the 30% to us does feel like a big number um, compared to the benefits that are being brought, but obviously, um, you know, as we've sort of balanced this out, uh, all of our financial assumptions assume that we're going to keep paying that 30% because that's currently the business model. Um, So we're not assuming any relief there, but uh, we're watching all these developments including uh, what you point out as new stores cropping up. And to the extent there are tools that we can uh, use, whether it's new stores, whether it's something else, uh, to reduce the overall 30%, we will certainly uh, focus and try to try to benefit from that. But uh, so far we haven't made any significant moves in that direction, but we'll continue to watch this um, and see how we can, uh, we can benefit from it financially. Okay, the next question comes from Anthony DiClemente with Evercore ISI. Please go ahead. Uh, thanks so much for taking my questions. Um, just one on monetization products and, and product pipeline. 
usually you have a new monetization product out in, in the late summer, let's say the third quarter time frame. I think your prepare remarks suggested you'll not have one this year. So just wanted to get a little bit more um, behind that and, and the, the strategy or, or timing of future monetization products. And then maybe one, one more real quick on competition. Um, can you just, Mandy, give us a characterization of the competitive landscape domestically and internationally? Couldn't, couldn't help but see the Bumble Super Bowl ads, and you mentioned Bumble in, in the prepare remarks in the slide. So is that sort of informing your response in marketing spend, at least here in the U.S.? Is that, what's, what's, is that part of what's driving the um, uh, marketing strategy to, to counteract the competition? Thanks. So let me give a shot to the, the first part of your question, uh, Anthony. I think, you know, if you look at our Q4 results, which were very strong, um, you know, it, it's clear that we're not dependent on a big revenue feature to really drive subs, drive conversion. There's a lot that we can do. And so as we look into 19, you know, that's going to be a big piece of what we're going to do on the optimization side. And Mandy went through a lot of that in her remarks. Um, so I won't go through it again, but that will be a part of it. We've got some revenue features, kind of what you said was kind of sprinkled throughout the year. So not planning for one big bang in September or something like that as we've done the last two years. It could happen. Um, there's a lot of things on the roadmap, um, and we're excited about a lot of the different initiatives of Tinder. So we're not committing specifically to that, but um, you know we believe we can deliver the numbers that we put out there without that big bang um, revenue feature. And we think there'll be uh, incremental things. There'll be things that are a little bit larger than that, and we'll kind of see how the year plays out. Um, but we feel very good about the product pipeline and very good about our ability to deliver what we've said from an outlook perspective without um, some very significant uh, revenue-specific feature like we've had the last couple of years. Okay. Um, okay, let me take great. So let me take the competition one. Um, so if you think about the competition, uh, you know, looking back over my tenure, I mean, it, it's been an incredibly competitive um, industry, and really in every market. There's a couple of goal, uh, global players. We also see a ton of local players. Um, and the constraint is not building an app. The constraint is really getting to scale. Very few players have done that. Um, asking about how we view our position in the market, we feel great competitively just because we've got so many strong products in the category and, um, and can compete in both domestically and internationally. And just to step back, if you look at our products, Tinder, for example, is in sort of a league of its own. It grew to scale. Um, so significantly and is maintaining um, you know, sort of great leadership position. And then Hinge, which I talked a little bit about, it's gaining ground, particularly in this sort of serious space, and it is taking share um, in that serious space market in the domestic market, and we're excited about what we see, and we think it is definitely a contender to um, continue to increase momentum in a space where you know, Tinder is a little bit younger and a little bit more casual, and Hinge is a little bit um, older and more serious. And then you know, there's other products that we're introducing international markets. For example, you know, OKCube, which I mentioned, has showed demonstrating traction. You know, showed some interesting traction in India. So we don't think about a single competitor. Um, and you asked me specifically about the um, Bumble question and the Super Bowl. So I'll tell you, um, you know, it definitely seems like Bumble is spending a large amount of money in marketing dollars and celebrity endorsements. You know, especially looking at sort of the Super Bowl ad. It's our belief, and my belief in particular as being a career-long marketer, that spending you know, millions and millions of dollars on one ad in our category just doesn't have sustainable impact on a business. Um, and what I can tell, we're, we're looking at, uh, you know, based on U.S. downloads post the Super Bowl and um, India downloads after a big celebrity push, our belief is reinforced. Um, on the flip side, there are opportunities to grow without big marketing dollars. So OkCupid, with very minimal marketing spend, um, seen just really tremendous momentum in the India market, which is really exciting by adapting the product and getting people sort of to talk about the product through these really interesting, provocative questions embedded into the product. So it's not always spending a lot of dollars that drive traction, but just spending them um, in a really smart way. Um, and then, you know, that said, you know, we're always evaluating areas of opportunity to invest in marketing, especially to drive awareness for these brands. But as you all know, we're pretty measured and prudent in our marketing approach. Thanks a lot. Okay. The next question comes from Brent Thill with Jefferies. Please go ahead. Good morning. Um, I had a question for Mandy and Gary. For Mandy, uh, you're coming off 30% growth in 18. 
uh, yet that, that growth is, is fading to mid-teens and 19. Can you just talk a little bit about uh, what the assumptions uh, that you're, you're taking into play here and the potential headwinds and tailwinds that, that you're considering? And, and for Gary, just uh, on North American subs, that was down sequentially in the fourth quarter. It's the first time we've seen that uh, in two years. Can you just talk a little bit about what was at play on that sequential decline in North America? Uh, sure, Brent. Why don't I take a crack at your question? Um, and if I miss something, Mandy can certainly jump in. So, you know, if you first of all, let me handle the, the North America subs decline sequentially. First of all, it's important to point out that um, you know Q4 tends to be our, our weakest quarter from a seasonality standpoint. So that's a factor in uh, in the sequential comparison. But you know, as I pointed out, uh, we did spend down. Um, at match on the marketing side in particular. And that really is the business that's responsible for uh, the trend that you're noticing. So it's not a tender trend. It's a, it's a match trend because of the decline in marketing. And we just think that uh, given both what's going on from a TV efficiency standpoint and also because we're in the middle of making some significant product changes, it really wasn't the quarter to go hard um, on the marketing side at, at match. And so, uh, you know, we saw the flow through effect on revenue and subs uh, from that. And, you know, as the year progresses and we make the changes on the product we want to make, uh, we'll dial back up marketing and dial back up subs and revenue. So you're probably going to see that, that trend that you're referring to um, on, the, on the North America subs uh, persist for a quarter or two um, as we make those changes that match, and then I think it'll re rebound nicely as we get towards the end of this year. So that's an important thing, I think, for people to um, to factor in. But we have confidence that that's going to be the trajectory. Um, as far as what we're seeing going from 30% kind of revenue growth um, in 18 uh, to what we're saying is mid-teens in 19, I think there's a few things uh, to keep in mind. Uh, first of all, uh, for the year, you've got a significant amount of FX uh, negative impact. So that's just one thing that's out of our control. That's probably, uh, you know, a, a 2% two, two or, or something off growth just from FX impact for the year. Um, so that's, that's a piece of it that's out of our control. Um, then there's the reality of what happened with Tinder Gold, which was, you know, a, a very unique set of circumstances where we rolled out a product that drove step function changes in both conversion and ARPU. And while we'll continue to swing for that to happen with other products that we introduce at Tinder and frankly across all the brands, you know, you don't see that that often. So it was a significant jump that led to a massive increase in revenue in 18, and we'll continue to push for that, but that's not what our base case assumptions are um, for 19. Um, and, you know, of course, there's also just the law of large numbers. As you look at it, we're now a $1.7 billion base on revenue in 2018. It gets tougher to grow that uh, by 30% as you turn the quarter into, into, into 19. So those are some of the puts and takes, you know, uh, FX, the gold effect being uh, two significant ones. Um, when you look at kind of the composition and what's driving revenue growth uh, across the business, as we've been saying for a while now, and it continues to be the case, that Tinder is carrying the load. Um, and it's really driving our revenue growth. And so, you know, what it's leading to across the company is, you know, kind of single-digit ARPU growth and double-digit subscriber growth that leads to that kind of uh, mid-teens revenue growth. Um, but uh, we'll see how the year progresses. If Tinder is able to um, drive additional features that really drive more growth, which is certainly possible, I think you could see upside to that number. If the match and MeTIC turnarounds progress, faster than what we're currently anticipating, you could see upside to that number. Um, if Hinge uh, monetizes more quickly or has more success, you could certainly see upside to that number, and the same is true to a smaller extent at the Chispas, BLKs of the world as well, or if SHIP uh, surprises us uh, as well. So we've got a lot of levers to pull, and I think that's the most important thing for people to understand. Uh, while Tinder continues to be phenomenal, you've got a lot of different growth levers that are building at the company, and, you know, I think that uh, early this year, you won't see as much contribution from the non-tender businesses, but as the year progresses, you will, and we'll start to see that sequential uh, improvement in revenue growth on a year-over-year -year basis uh, as we get through 19. And the most important thing that I want people to understand is 
our goal is to create this company into something that can sustain mid-high teens revenue growth over time by having all these different levers. And so while I know that Tinder is something that people love to focus on and it has been fantastic and continues to be fantastic, it's really important to understand that we've got a lot of other levers as well to pull on growth. And once we get all those going uh, in the right direction, you're going to see really strong sustained revenue growth at this company for, for a long time, and, uh, and that's what we're planning for. Thank you. Okay, the next question comes from Dan Salman with BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Uh, good morning, everyone. Um, two questions, Mandy. First, I think uh, Swipe Surge rolled out uh, late in the year and uh, would love to just hear a little bit more on that product, how you see it rolling out uh, more broadly and globally and uh, how you're thinking about merchandising it. And then second, you spoke a little bit about some of the uh, sort of individual opportunities in the emerging markets like OKC and in India. But just maybe to take it up a little bit of a higher level, could you just review the sort of competitive approach in emerging markets where um, in some cases sort of broader social media apps sort of act as the base layer of the Internet as opposed to an operating system or a browser? And some of that social activity kind of um, you know, bleeds together between dating and family and friends and otherwise. Um, it's a common question as Facebook sort of creeps into the market. What are the, the, the sort of different dynamics and how social media and dating app usage may be different in emerging markets and how you approach it? Thanks. Okay, great. So let me um, take the first one on um, Swipe Surge. So um, Swipe Surge we launched um, – not too long ago uh, globally on iOS. So we still haven't, um, it's, it's still developing on Android, so we're planning on launching on Android, which is going to be great because that's a, a very large portion of our, our audience. Um, what Swipe Surge is doing is it's, you know, of course, um, in the product itself, it's telling people when there's, you know, high traffic, when there's a lot of activity. And as I mentioned, it's kind of like telling people the bar is full or, you know, the club is hopping. So once people show up, there's just a lot more activity. And what that activity does is allows people to um, uh, increase message, you know, increase messaging and also increase matches. Increase matches. So we, we actually see double-digit um, increase in likes and messaging, and also just the, the response times are really quick because people are sort of um, are in the, the club or the bar, so to speak. Um, so I think that covers the, the um, swipe search question. Mm -hmm. So let me address the other question you had just around under-penetrated under, under uh, markets and emerging markets. Um, so as, as I talked about, if you look at the TAM, there's like a huge number, 75% of our market is um, outside of North America and Europe, which are more mature markets. And what you mentioned, which is, you know, you talked about uh, what's happening with social media, but I think even um, what's more pronounced is that there's this massive cultural shift um, around dating because you're, you're dealing with people in their 20s. They're the first generation that's dating. Their parents didn't date. And so um, the phenomenon is really sort of changing things. And I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, Japan is a really interesting example of this. We've been operating in Japan for, I don't know, a decade or so, uh, maybe more. And it's only been in the last couple of years where we've seen acceleration, and, and it's due to this uh, eroding stigma. And this also just happens to be a market where there's just people are also willing to pay. Um, and it's also a market, interesting left, where people really want to date outside their social circles. And so for each of these markets, we really have to make sure we understand what's happening culturally. And, and the momentum is there. And for us, it's more about making sure that we're sort of there to capture that momentum. Um, so, I, you know, when it comes to Tinder in some of these markets, because we're, they're so early on in dating, Tinder is starting to define and, and leading the conversation around dating. And you see this in several markets. And, and that's why I do think it's really important as we – you know, as we are in these markets, it's not just about marketing messages, but to make sure that we start to adapt to the product so it's more relevant for these markets that are just sort of early on in the journey. Great. Thanks, Mandy. Okay. The next question comes from John Blackledge with Callan. Please go ahead. Uh, great. Thanks. Uh, j just on uh, t Tinder, ARPU, um, maybe Gary, what's the expectation for ARPU growth in 19 and, and kind of key drivers? Uh, mixed drivers, and then also on Tinder, just a la carte as a percent of total uh, Tinder direct revenue, and then if you can give the mix of a la carte um, Tinder subs versus non-paying uh, Tinder users. Thank you. 
Um, okay, we're running a little bit tight on time, so let me try to answer those questions quickly. Um, on Tinder a la carte, it, it remains about 30% or so um, of direct revenue. That's been pretty consistent now for a few quarters, um, and so that's kind of where we stand there. Um, from an ARPU perspective, um, you know, I said mid-single digits for Tinder as, as 2019 happens. I think that's uh, what we're looking at. I think there's a few components of that. Um, you know, we've been able to drive gold mix up uh, significantly, and obviously that adds to ARPU. I think that will continue to be a component of it. Obviously, as the percentage has gotten higher and higher, it's tougher to drive more and more gold mix, but I think there's still more room on that front, and that will help drive. Um, on the a la carte front in particular, which you raise, you know, when you think about Tinder, there's really only kind of two features um, on the a la carte side that are really driving things, right, with boosts and super likes. And I think you could imagine a much broader, longer menu of a la carte features that could be um, appealing at Tinder. So that is an area that we're focused on uh, in, in 2019 and, and beyond for Tinder. I think there's room there. And then something that we've talked about frequently um, is the ability to optimize price at Tinder. Um, country by country, market by market basis, based on a number of factors. I think when we look at it, as we've talked about before, pricing is a bit of a blunt instrument at Tinder. We haven't been that refined or sophisticated on it, uh, and we are very sophisticated on it at a number of the other brands. And so we need to get more sophisticated on Tinder. We've got a team focused on that, and I think we'll make good progress on that um, over 2019. So those are the three drivers, I think, that contribute to our confidence that we're going to be able to drive Tinder ARPU up single digits um, as, as 19 progresses. Um, so I'm going to leave it there just given the time, but hopefully that uh, answers your questions, John. Uh, we appreciate everyone joining the call again this quarter, uh, and we look forward to talking to you all uh, on the next call. Thank you very much. The conference has now concluded. Thank you for attending today's presentation. You may now disconnect.